Hey, welcome to the Runaways Podcast. My name is Cody. Uh, today we're going to be talking about the calling, how to play in your sealed pool, how to play draft when you're obviously lucky enough to make day two, uh, as well as later I will reveal the secret to what I use to practice sealed twice as fast as I think anyone else does. So you can cram that in in your last day and a half so that you can uh, make day two at the calling. But today I am joined, as always, by Dan. Unfortunately, not always. Next week because someone is going on a vacation uh, next week and will not be here. And then for the first time on the podcast, I am joined by Connor. Connor, thanks for coming on. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on, guys. I'm excited. Yeah, I talk I to you guys all the time, but now I'm excited for it to be uh, recorded. <laughs> yep. I, I think most people have not got a chance to meet you yet uh, from the team. Um, Connor is definitely one of our Dash aficionados by far. Mm -hmm. I think that's your favorite deck, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I like. I really enjoyed Dash IO after she came out. Um, top eight battle hard in Pittsburgh with her. That is so fun. Melts my brain every time I play it. Um, and then I play regular Dash as well a lot. But I, I play a lot of the heroes. I play just about everything. So um, yeah, I like being I like being versatile. Even though I do love my Mechanologist Queen, she's my favorite. But yeah, unfortunately, Dash IO uh, a little scuffed right now. Uh, maybe less scuffed after the meta shakes out and people stop trying to run, you know, every single block card and every single everything in, in their decks. But, um, I think that is by far the most complicated deck to play in the game and it's not even close. Uh, and I think most of the time you probably still play it wrong. Even if you think you're playing the mm -hmm. right line. So, yep. Uh, you just have to hope like 75%, like playing at 75% efficiency is enough. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. And it can be, that deck's very powerful when it is until people start blocking. Um, <laughs> but thanks for coming on. Uh, that's exciting. What we're going to be talking about on our first topic is going to be the big thing, the calling, uh, it's going to be in Hartford for most of us. That is super close. That's on the team. Not everyone, but for most people, it's pretty close. Um, I'm ex I mean, I'm driving there. It's like one of the first big callings I've got to dr drive to. Um, and it's sealed, which we haven't had in forever. I think the number that I saw, I mean, we're recording this on Tuesday, so it was like just shy of 500 people have already signed up and you know how it normally goes for these callings. We get like a, a slew of new people, like right before, um, you know, like the day of or the day before. So it's looking like it's going to be huge. People want to come out. People want to play. People don't care that it's sealed. You know, everyone is worried. Hey, I don't want to play sealed, but no one seems to worry about that. So what we're going to talk about is basically your day one. Uh, you're going to sit down, you're going to open six packs and you're going to have to build a deck. We're probably going to have to play eight rounds is what it probably looks like on day one. Um, and then normally it's like X2 makes the next, uh, makes day two, uh, is probably what we're looking at, but what, what going into this, you're going to be playing sealed and Dan, what do you, ex mm. what would you want to open? What are you looking to try and play? What, you know, what are your expectations? Sure. Yeah. I think the first thing, I don't think it's a secret that KO has been performing the best overall in sealed, uh, which makes sense, right? Like he, his hero ability, uh, increasing your attack level on your cards and getting the might token every turn. He's just, he's going to work with any pool you open um, to some degree. It's going to be playable. It's going to be fine. Um, so I think that's why we see him doing well. Like people choosing like the cute option because they got some cool majestic. It's just going to get outvalued by KO a lot. Um, I think the biggest reason for that is because of it's sealed, right? So like every deck is playing some number of clash effects usually because it's just a block four or a efficient attack. Um, and he's just the king of clash in sealed. Like he's plus one clash value on every clash if you hit an attack. Um, so that said, 
I, ideally, I would still want to open a good KO pool. Um, I'm open to playing all the heroes. I played three pre-release, and I did like eight practice sealed pools before that. Uh, and I played very diverse pools. Um, I will say it does feel a little bad picking non-KO because you're just conceding your clashes more often than not. Um, I think the number one thing I want to see is like strong equipment suite. Um, I want to have at least like ideally five block value on my equipment for the game. Um, I think the conditional two block ones are really strong. Um, that's the main thing I'm looking for. Like your equipment's going to guide me a little bit. And then looking at like, what are my power cards? Um, do I have like a good density of agility? Um, I think that opens up warrior quite a bit. Um, that kind of thing. Yeah, I definitely agree with KO. KO being the most common choice, um, just because he utilizes most of the pool the best. All of your yellow and blue brute cards are way better in KO. Um, he also lets you just have a, nat- a bunch of block threes naturally by playing all those different brute cards. You don't. A lot of these yellow brute cards are like two for fives or whatever, but they block for three, and that's like the most important thing. Um, I found KO to be really resistant to getting fatigued also like i find he can actually fatigue the other deck because he has so many two for sixes and three for sevens kind of big value attacks like that um so i'm definitely on board with ko being the most common hero that's going to be played and probably your safest choice to see if you have a ko deck first um i do agree that agility really does open up a lot of the warrior stuff i think agility the other two tokens a lot of times are, are about one value and agility can just be worth a million. It can be worth like six or especially in brute. Like it's so easy if you have an agility just to go two for six, three for seven. Just a super like clean four card 13 that you probably get to block the card from hand because you are snowed an attack. Like it just generates so much value. Um, so you really want to, you will find the better numbers when you have the heroes that can play agility. Um, Guardian does feel a little bit tough to be able to put together because you need so many blues and so many block threes. Um, one of the first things I'll do in sealed a lot of times is figure out which class has the most blues and has the best, like mo- the most blue block threes. Um, because even if your if your KO deck's decent, but you only have six or f- maybe like you can have like four to five blue class cards and then like a couple blue generics, but they're all gonna be two blocks. Um, if you can't get to like ten, I'm kind of hesitant to play that hero. And I think that you kind of have, you have to be guided by that first and then the equipment and then like your powerful reds. Um, and kind of all those things are kind of a blend, but there's a lot of trade-offs. Like you can play a more inconsistent deck, but more powerful reds um, or go for more consistency, but have that lower power level. But if you have a lot of block threes, it doesn't matter if your power level is a little bit lower. Um, but yeah, I definitely, I'm on board with KO, KO being King. What's your thought, Cody? Yeah, so the first thing I do is I open my packs and I take all of the three for sevens that I see and I put them in a big pile. And I don't care about anything else. I I sort the other things, but all of the three for sevens go in their own special pile. Uh, And then I look at them and I go, does any class have seven or more three for sevens in it? And if one does, I play that class no matter what. So that's step one. So if you have seven or more, three for sevens in a class you just you just play that class it doesn't matter what else you have that's just it's too it's too good it's too much value three for sevens are the most valuable cards in sealed and if you don't get super lucky and open you know seven 
three for sevens, which is pretty hard. Like you're not going to. The average, I believe, is three to four uh, in a you playable class. Things? No. Okay. Um, so you can if you want, but I don't. Mm. I don't consider bear fangs um, a three for seven. It's literally just red three for sevens. Understand. Um, and then so that's step one. If I don't meet that, which most of the time you won't. Uh, if you do, then you're like, okay, sweet, we're in there. Um, the the next step would then is just to be like at what is playable, and I will take the KO stuff and I will shove it to the side because every sealed pool wants to be KO. Every single sealed pool. It doesn't matter like what you open. It's just like, hey, you should play this deck because it just looks the best. I'll actually, I actually want to look at Warrior. I think Warrior is very strong in sealed, assuming that you have the right cards for it. Uh, it has the most block three blues in the entire game, um, and they're the most common. And so I want to count and see how many of those that I have. If I have somewhere like seven, eight um, of those blues, like it's a really good reason to be into Warrior. And then I want like, I'm looking for like three or like anywhere from three to four red pumps like uh like attack reacts i'll play it at three sometimes i'll play it at two if i have like four or five of the one for three uh action cards that wager um those are acceptable and then see how many agility you have but like some combination of those is is my next thing i'm looking at i'll also take a look at betsy i think betsy is is underplayed a lot in sealed um you only need like two to three like red pumps maybe a yellow and a blue like that's good enough like if i have two reds like one or two yellows and one or two blues like that's a good enough reason to to look at Betsy and then just look at how many three for sevens that you have in that class. Uh, even if they're not wager, just three for sevens, you can even get away with the yellow ones, like the three for sixes, because um, they all block three. And and if you're using it off the pump, you could block two cards and then block two cards again and, and play uh, that card. And then also special specialization equipment is like a big deal. Uh, I actually think there is reasons to play Reinar. And it's two red tradens. So if you see two red tradens, you should probably really look at Reinar as like a viable deck because trade in, discard, intimidate, claw, claw, attack is like game winning. And having two of those means that you can usually find a way to set that up in the first like three to four rounds um, of the game. And that's like the big power in playing Reinar. I, for some reason, keep opening Reinar helmets. Every seal pool, I've opened a Reinar helmet and no trade ins. And I went, well, I can't play this deck. Um, but th those are kind of like my approaches to that. Would I play Victor? Yeah, if I had like his helmet or his specialization, I might look at playing Victor. Uh, but that's about it. Am I going to play Olympia? Most of the time, no. It's like really hard to make an argument to play Olympia over just playing Kasai. Um, you can if you really don't have enough yellows. Like if your yellows are kind of trash can and you, but you're not going to because it's sealed or if you have like the specialization for Olympia, then I would uh, as well. Um, or if you have the helmet for Olympia, then I would. But Olympia did well at the the last calling or the um, the last sealed. They he like most of the people who decided to go Olympia made day two. Uh, but I think that's probably because they just had really good Olympia pools, which is why yeah. what pulled them there. I had a pool over the weekend where I had. I didn't want to play the yellows like my my red cards were so good and all my blues block three. Mm -hmm. um, and I had like one total card that made an agility token. Yeah. Uh, so that's what led me to play Olympia there. I figured I'm, I'm almost never getting the double swings. So the discounts like minimal. Um, so I figured the gold upside was a bit better and it played pretty well. I mean, you could play shield with Olympia. I did play easily. shield. Yeah, that's like that's the real spice right there. I have yeah. no go again. So I don't like, need all, all three blocks is this value deck. Yeah, hope my block value is good enough to outvalue my opponent. 
people really sleep on warrior having attack reacts. Like the attack reacts are a big deal in sealed because it's just like, mm-hmm. it's unmitigatable damage that you can just yep. float through. Um, they work the best off of, unfortunately the clash reds. Uh, so if you have the clash two cost red, you can then have a three card nine that three of it's unblockable. Uh, for the most part, no one's, no one's really overblocking that hard. However, it means you have to play those clash cards, and I hate playing clash agility in a deck that is not KO. Yep. Like it's so like, you're not it's, clash it's, against KO. It's not worth it. It's basically a no block. Like you're playing against KO, and you have yep. it. It's a three block. It's a three block blue, but it's essentially a no block because you're just giving them everything when you block with it. Yeah. No, I think the biggest thing for my pulls, I really want to build a deck that doesn't have to block. Like, I want a deck that can efficiently not block ever. Like, I, I want that to be the backup plan. Because um, there's a lot of plays where you get stuck with your whole hand, or you don't often get to block efficiently in this format. Like, there's a lot of two blocks. Usually you're not having enough blues in your deck, so you have to hold those to pay for your cards. You're playing a lot of, like, three for sixes, three for sevens. Um, so I want the deck that can best support playing all of my cards, basically. Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, blocking is losing in this format is what I found is like you have to block to like not just take all the damage, right? You can't just take all the damage and they block, but preferably you would like to block with two cards and then like swing a seven. Like that's Mm -hmm. that's kind of one of the things you want to be doing or, um, you know, then setting or setting a card or blocking one card and doing something else. But you have to block a little bit because it is sealed, but you don't want to be the person Mm -hmm. who's like on the back foot, always blocking. That's how you lose every game. Like whoever has to start doing that first. Um, and I, that's why I think like the agility boots and when you use the agility boots is like a really big deal. And so like, it's something that you have to think about. It's like, I'm not like super concerned about sharing all of our, like, uh, you know, sealed look at things because I think the gameplay in this format is incredibly important. Like, I mean, the deck building too, like, yeah, absolutely. The deck building is important, uh, but just, you know, knowing what class you should be in is one thing, but I think the gameplay in here while simple is like incredibly important in the, in it. And because it's so simple. The, the little things that you do make a really big difference. Just getting someone in that blocking pattern basically just loses them the game in the spot. And it's like all the, it feels a lot like, feels like playing like LL where like if you're playing LL format, it's all the little micro things that you do to get an edge. Because once you get the edge, you can really pound that edge in like real strong. And it feels the same here where it's like, we're both kind of doing the same stuff almost no matter what deck you play. But whoever can get that little edge and push that little bit more all of a sudden just like takes over the game and it's really hard for the other person to get out of it. Yeah. I also think there's so much variance in this format. Like it's just everywhere. Every, every action you take is like variance, variance, variance. So like being able to control that as much as possible, I think has huge benefit as well in the way that you play. And Connor, what are some other things besides KO that you're, that you might be looking for or hoping for when you open your seal pool? I definitely agree with what you're saying about wanting to stay on the front foot and a lot of times it feels like the biggest the biggest enabler of that is agility to like keep those four card hands flowing um, for KO or for any of the warriors. Um, and so I do I do really value agility. Um, I think that basically if warrior has more agility than brute, I'm kind of about it. Um, I also one thing I really think is interesting in sealed is the the argument of like whether or not to play extra cards. Um, this format, the games go, they can go long. And I've had a lot of games where on turn six or seven, we're both at two to one, right? We, we both traded damage really quickly. 
And then neither of us can really put together more than like a two card six or a three card seven to actually like finish the other opponent, like the opponent off. Um, and like the games will just start to fatigue. If you just trade, if, if we trade two for six back and forth, eventually we'll run out of cards or it'll come down to like pseudo fatigue where it's like, Oh, I'm in brew. I had to play a blue wild ride and I drew it at the end of the game and I had no, I couldn't block then. And that, then I died. Um, that game basically came down to fatigue. You you had a card left in your deck or maybe two cards left, but it really was a, a game that came down to fatigue. Um, so I've been a fan of playing a couple extra cards, like getting up into 35, 36, 37, even if they're like yellow adrenaline rush. Like that card is botcher two, which kind of sucks, but it's a two for six. If you find it mid to late game in your pitch deck. Um, and I've really like valued just playing even like those yellow two blocks, those blue two blocks, like having those extra pieces of cardboard just to swing your weapon on that last turn can be such a huge difference. But I know that people enjoy being more efficient and having higher card quality, but sometimes quantity does end up mattering. But what's your I think it's like completely pool dependent. Like I play decks that I like 100% I want 30 cards, like no question. Mm-hmm. Um, that was my the last round our deck I played. Um, but then the KO deck I played the day before, I ran 40, and I was, like, happy about every card in that deck. Yeah, I definitely think KO lends himself to being a fatter deck, because because you can just use all the yellows, and you have so many playable cards. Yeah, I, like, I, every single time I open a stake gold, I put it in my deck, because it's a yellow block three that's not an attack. And I'm just, like, every time I, unless I have, like, the perfect amount of cards, and it's, but it's always going to go in against Warrior. It's like, I see a Warrior, stake gold. Go in my deck. I'm blocking for three. I'm not turning on your sword. Get out of here. Um, that's like one of the little things that I always see that I'm like, yeah, get in there. I think this game is fake fatigue. And what I mean by that is it's fatigue via damage, which means you would have lost anyway. Um, it's not fatigue in like the other formats where it was like fatigue via blocking. And I'm just going to block out all of your threats. And then in the game, because my blocking was more efficient than your attacking was, the blocking is not more efficient in uh this set so you're just when you're getting fatigued or going to fatigue it's because they're punching you and you're giving up more cards than the punch cost your opponent and in that case it almost doesn't matter if you put more cards in you absolutely can to make yourself feel better but it doesn't really matter because you are in a blocking cycle and they're still using less cards than you so even if you have the extra ones you're basically just putting extra cards in your deck to hope that when you get in a, uh, a blocking cycle that they whiff a turn bad enough for you to come back and start swinging again and you need a card buffer to make that up. That's, In my opinion, that's, that's all you're doing when you're putting extra cards in your deck. Because if you're the one attacking, it doesn't matter if you have 30 and they have 40, because your attacking cards are so much more efficient than the blocking cards are in this set that you will you will actually make up the 10-card difference uh, most of the time, especially in Warrior, because you're using weapons um, as well. Uh, but the, the other thing about Warrior I like is that if you can s- sneak off with like a, a quick... Uh, attack react at the beginning you can get them in a life deficit and all of a sudden it makes their all of their blocking and incredibly like way harder um and then everything is relevant like your your pump into a weapon becomes relevant like with uh, with wagering because now if they're giving up two cards for that then you could pump over top of it and you get to keep extra cards for free because their health got lower i think that's one of the powers of warrior but when warrior falls behind it's way harder for them to come back because most of their cards are not at a very good rate no, I, I I definitely agree with the warrior. I like warrior getting that like quick burst, like you said, of damage because playing against warrior when you're at like three or two is mm-hmm. terrifying. Their two card hand is just very easily like blue plus attack react. 
and then you just have to respect that while you're at a very low life total. And so, like, playing against Warrior, I kind of want to stay above, like, six, seven, eight. I want to stay in those ranges so that way I'm a little bit safer from an attack reaction. But obviously, you, you're trading life the whole time to throw damage, so you can't always perfectly manage that. Um, I do disagree with the like what you're saying about having extra cards because I I want to have extra cards not to block with them but to attack with them. Like I need to be able to keep throwing punches and I need my density to not all be like blue cards that are only worth one if I if I play them. Um and so I think that having those extra cards for the purpose of attacking I think is a little bit different because once you get that little bit of carded like card lead just by trading two for six and they blocked with two cards and then you maybe took some damage or something like it puts them as the game gets more and more pared down. Like when they have nine cards and you have 13 cards, like you're at a huge advantage in that spot. Um, even if they're, they're kind of bad cards. Um, and I think you can also manage the game accordingly. Um, if you're playing against warrior, I think you want to play a little bit safer. It is harder to fatigue or Kasai or something like that. But really what you're trying to do is like, get through all of their agility turns. They're only going to have three, four, maybe five agility cards. And once you can get through all those agility turns, they they just become a lot less efficient. Like, unless they have a ton of plus three attack reactions, their turns just get naturally pretty worse. Um, and so you're trying to, like, in these long games, you're going to end up having to weather the storm because you can't chain together enough attacks and en- enough four-card, like, big hands. Um and I think that having those a couple extra cards can be important there. Um, and I think in a Guardian, I'm interested in your opinion also in the Guardians, like if you want the extra cards. Because I think it's interesting. I think in a Betsy, the extra cards don't matter as much because she has so much more inevitability. But against Victor, like I might play as many cards as I can get my hands on. I might make the argument that, I mean, if you have additional good attacks to put in your deck, then you just have a really good deck that ha- that should have more than 30 cards. But most of the time when you're going past 30, what you're putting in are just like two buck blues and like other garbage um, in most pools. Like unless you have, just have a super pool, I feel like a really good pool that you can go plus 30 and your 31, 32, 33, 34 and 35 cards are actually like good value, actual good cards. Then like, yeah, you just play 35 cards. Like, yeah, of course they're good cards. Mm-hmm. Um, you can absolutely do that. But for most people, what happens is you get like 30, 132 actual cards you want to play and then like your last three you're putting in are just like yellow two blocks and blue two blocks and those aren't really making a big difference in a lot of the cases you could actually make an argument that's doing the opposite instead of you being able to swing your big red attack every turn you're diluting the deck into the point where you are less likely to draw uh red good red good red good red good red every turn of the game Uh, and if you had done that you would have been able to take over like the initiative of the game in which case it doesn't matter um because you don't have to block your opponent's one blocking and fatiguing. So obviously it's deck dependent, right? Um, In that case, I against Betsy, I'm just going to run 30 because you need to punch her in the mouth before she like sets up because she could absolutely just be like set. She'd be like block two cards, set up block one card, swing for 14, uh, swing for like 11 to 14, like overpower. And you're just like, okay. And then the next one, they go block two cards, set up. And they just like repeat this. And like, that is unbearable to play against and you need your block cards that you have even if you have one or two you you need them in a smaller deck to like actually see them on those turns to be able to stuff them yeah i think betsy's best position to beat the chaos um because of like what you're saying like um 
unless you open block cards and like reinforce the line, you don't have reactions, right? So like you're probably only blocking one card on those big attack turns and some equipment. Um, so like she's getting her wager and damage through and all that. But it's also like if she traps you with like extra cards because you don't have agility and you're just holding these like useless cards that don't have go again into the next turn, like it's so brutal. If you get caught like once, you're like so far behind already. Um, so I think she's kind of the if you have a good uh, Betsy pull. I would consider it because I think she is well positioned to to take on the chaos. Just cut the clash cards. Yeah, I uh, and it gets Victor. Victor's hard. I think you have to run some extra cards into Victor. Um, you got to assume because you don't obviously get to see the equipment. You have to assume that they probably pulled like a Miller's or they pulled something good, right? They're probably they always playing, have the Golden Sun. Yeah, they time. have to have a Golden Sun. Maybe they have the helmet. Maybe they have they're playing two hammers against you, right? Like they got to have some reason why they're playing, you know, Victor, right? Or they have just like three test of strengths. They're just like, I'm trying to make this gold, right? I don't think that's a good reason, though, in this format. Like, KO is way too popular to have that be like yeah, your reason. KO to play can hero. have gold. Who, who cares if KO has a gold? Yeah, I guess the downside is you're blocking for and not drawing a card. That's not that bad. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, my, that's my favorite one to open because most of the time I just don't care if my opponent has a gold. Like, obviously, it can backfire. But it's not nearly as bad as Clash of Agility or I hate Clash of Might too. I hate when I just give yep. my opponent plus one damage. I'm just like, I think I just lost. Like I gave you an, an extra damage for blocking. This essentially blocked for two. And it might have been a two block, but sometimes that plus one is even worse. Well, that's why the conditional two block equipment is so satisfying. It's like, oh, I lost this clash, but hey, guess what? Now I'm blocking two this turn. Yep. I mean, I will give my opponent I only like them when I do have the the uh like the might gloves and you're like playing against yep. someone who can't have might and you're just like well you know it's a win-win for me it's either plus one or i'm blocking for plus for one is essentially how it works that's a good thing to keep in mind because like there's an argument for cutting that equipment because of the existence of um down but not out right mm -hmm. um like playing equipment that's never leaving the field is a detriment in case that card comes up but if you have clash cards that might give your opponent that token i don't know i'm not sure which decision is correct I played down but not out in my last sealed pool, um, and I resolved it in every game because I started with no helmet. Yep. No, that card's gross. Yeah, I just played KO, and I went, hmm, all these helmets suck. I'll go no helmet, and then I'll just try and resolve this like pretty quickly. And the games that it hit, I won, and the games that I resolved it and they blocked it, I lost. Yeah, the red one especially, it, it yeah. actually just like wins the game on its own. It's disgusting. Yeah, it's pretty close. It's not as bad as I thought it was. Like when you read it and you think about it, like it's like super busted. But after I, you know, I had the red one and I played it in all three games, while it gave me like some level of advantage in the games that it hit on, um, it wasn't it wasn't as much as you would really think it is. Hmm. Um, you would think it like just bust the whole game open, but the games were still super close and I could have easily lost those games it wasn't just like hey i resolve this it hit and i win the game on the spot right i think it can happen though it 100 percent can happen i had that happen <laughs> did you against me yeah i think my brother did it to me <laughs> i might be mixing up games okay uh so connor anything else on sealed before we move into day two that you know everyone is going to make especially if you listen to this podcast because you're getting all the secrets <laughs> one thing i do want to let people know who haven't thought about this Always submit both high risers in Guardian. I know you can't make agility, but your opponent might give you agility. And if you ever don't have a second hammer to swing, you will feel very, very sad. And 
I just had people like I played in some pre-release and they're like, oh, I just have one hammer. I just uh, had it in my token pack. I didn't want to get another one. And it's like, no, you you want a second one. I promise. It's so good when you can swing two, um, especially late in the game if they like wager an agility and then you have a two card hand and it's just two blues and you just throw both hammers. That's that's pretty sick. Unless you have I'm a excited shield. To play yeah, shield. you can have a shield. Shield yeah. is good. Shield's a good reason. But otherwise, don't don't get caught without your second hammer. Okay. So I'm going to let everyone know on my secret uh, sealed training formula that I do in order to uh, get more games in and get more deck building in and get more practice in. It's really, really simple. You go to Betamancer, uh, which is usually for draft, but they do have sealed on there as well. Um, it's Draftmancer. Uh, we have links in our Discord uh, if you would need to figure out how to get there or get the uh, cards to be able to do this. But uh, you just it, and you just do a sealed pool. So you do one sealed pool, you put it over to uh, February, you build the deck, then you go and you do another sealed pool and you build that deck. And then you go to Talishar and you make a private game. And then you join your own private game with both of your decks and you play yourself with your sealed pool. It's, it's incredibly good, especially... You have to play, obviously, in a way where you don't know what you have in your, your own hand. And most people should be able to do that. But this allows you to build two different sealed decks in one, in one go and then play both of those sealed decks at the same time. So you're getting like double training because it's too hard to like continually do a sealed pool against someone else and be like, oh, I finally got a Betsy pool. Now play Betsy. Or I finally got a warrior pool. Then do that. It's like twice as long. This way, when you're doing your sealed pool, and you can even just generate a million sealed pools and find the one that's like, hey, this one actually looks like Warrior, like, and play that if you really want. Uh, but you're getting the experience of building two different pools. You get to then test different things, and then you get to play against yourself. And you get to see both sides of the matchup. And that'll, like, you don't have a lot of time. Most people are practicing for Pro Tour anyway, but that's how I do it personally to practice sealed. And you can do it by yourself. You don't need a whole team to do that. And I think it's very valuable because you can even find the education edge cases in your build where you're like i don't know if this should be a ko or a warrior build well you just build the warrior and then afterwards you switch it and build a ko and see which one was stronger you know based on what happened and you don't need someone else you're not wasting someone else's time or asking them to commit more time to you you're, you're able to do that on your own so i would recommend this is going to come out on thursday i would recommend some people uh, sit down and do that on thursday or friday uh, you'll get twice as much practice in and you'll be, you'll feel way more confident when you open your packs and have an idea of like, Oh, this is what I should be doing. I would definitely second, like you should test building pools. I think it's like pretty deep in this format. And a lot of the pools I opened, I think have been like slanted towards one hero, not just KO. Um, so I think being able to being able to identify that uh, will definitely benefit you. Yeah. Okay. So, Everyone's going to do that. They're going to listen to the podcast. They're going to do that. Because of that, they're going to be prepared for sealed. They're going to open their pool. It doesn't matter what it is. They'll know exactly the best deck to build. They won't second guess themselves. And then they're going to X2 or X1 or go undefeated on day one. And then day two happens. And it looks like it's going to be six rounds of draft. So you'll do two different drafts due to the size. Uh, so what do we think about the draft format? What are we looking for? How do we think this functions? Are we happy with it? Uh, Dan, I know we've been doing a lot of drafts internally, but what are your you know initial thoughts on draft right now? Yeah, I'm still pretty like new to drafting this set. Um, currently for me, it's like the drafting process is exactly outsiders in terms of like strength of signals, how you should go about sending them and interpreting them. Um, 
also in terms of like how much room you have to like waste picks and pivot late in the draft. Um, so from like the draft strategy side, I'm kind of copy pasting what I was doing there. Um, or kind of just like redoing what I was doing there and seeing what works best. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's pretty interesting. Um, I like having hybrid cards uh, as ways to kind of stay a little bit open. I don't think it really helps that much. Um, I'm already quickly identifying like a lot of the hybrid cards are clearly good for one hero more than the other. Um, like look at like Agile Windup, right? Like that card is bananas in Kale. Like it's very strong. You get two tokens. Uh, it's flexible. You can attack. You can make the tokens uh but in like the warriors you're just getting an agility token or you have this expensive attack um stuff like that um yeah i don't know i need to play a little bit more i didn't love the first few drafts i did of the format um but i'm not sure because I, I did really enjoy sealed um i think it was kind of a mental shift for me like there's so much variance in this set and i found it frustrating at first uh, but I think adjusting like your mental to be like, no, this is part of the game. Like you need to hedge on these like percentage plays and have a plan if this hits or this misses, that kind of thing. Um, so we'll see. I think it's a very dynamic format. I think the drafting process is the same as most flesh and blood sets where sometimes you're stuck in the wrong seat or like in the like you lean into one direction, one hero, and you're just kind of stuck there because if you move out. You have to play cracked bobbles or you risk like getting super train wrecked later. Um, so I think a lot of those concerns from past draft formats still apply here. Um, but I'm not sure. I'm still I'm like five drafts in, so I'm hoping I'll enjoy it more later on. And Connor, I know you have been using our draft uh, internally because I see you in my draft quite often, uh, mm -hmm. either uh typically at night it'll just be i'll be like ah let me do one more draft before bed and then there's always a connor that pops up in there uh as well uh so what do you think uh initially of draft listen if i see five in the queue i can't turn it down <laughs> i'm in i'm on board um no i've been really enjoying drafts i've done a bunch of them i think i've I've drafted every hero a couple times now um obviously like i've drafted kasai and ko the most just because i think you end up in them a lot um they're kind of like flat like signal like red really powerful cards are really really good like i think all the red ko three for sevens are really nice ways to start your draft you can start with like a wage might or a wage agility wage agility might be the best like red common in the set i think that's kind of reasonable um so i think you kind of end up down those those paths a lot and i think those heroes are really really good and you're excited to end up in them um for Olympia and Reinar, I'm not exactly sure why you want to draft them outside of the specializations. The specializations are all really good. Um, the Reinar hat is pretty good. Mini Meat Axe is also really good in Reinar. Um, with an agility token, being able to start... That's like the, the Ravenous Meat Axe, but for three or whatever. Um, being able to start your turn with a Mini Meat Axe and swing with that and then Intimidate and then have the rest of your turn is really, really, really powerful. Um, so if I get those kind of like really powerful flag posts or like like big signals that I want to be Rhinar or basically just big payoffs for it. I will go into those kind of like Rhinar and Olympia up the ante's good. Obviously the, the Olympia hat's very good. Um, but I'm, I'm generally going to try to, I'm going to, you're going to stick to KO and Kasai more often just because they're way more flexible and it's just so much easier to find the cards that are good in them. Um, and I think that this draft format has been really interesting because if you focus on the hybrid cards, you end up kind of, leaving people downstream not sure what you're doing 
um, if I take wage might and then wage agility and then something else, but someone downstream of me is going to see the brute cards and be like, oh, brute is open. People took hybrid cards over them. I'll take the brute cards. Um, where, which can kind of leave it in a tough spot where you have definitely had it be, I'm trying to stay in open. I'm trying to hang out, pick four, pick five. I'm trying to decide what class I want to be. And then I decide I get into it. And then pack two, I realize that the person to my left also got into that class. And it's kind of hard to completely prevent that from happening unless you're very deliberate about it, um, which I think will make, there's definitely going to, you're going to get train wrecked by your neighbor, but that's just draft also. That's, that happens at every, every card game with drafting, you can get wrecked by somebody. But I think that definitely got to, got to navigate those signals like pretty seamlessly because you have a small window to guess right. Like it's like merging onto the highway. You know what I mean? Like you only get one look. <laughs> like you can't, you can't try to do it twice. So you got to be careful with that. But. Yeah, I agree. I mean, just for the people at home that might not be familiar with how to signal um, or what we mean by signal when we come to this set, um, the first, uh, I'm going to talk about the first group of cards. They're basically five cards and it's going to be uh, two of each class. And then, but one of the classes only have one card. So for example, it could have two warrior, two guardian, one brute or it could be two guardian one warrior two brute any combination of those but you know that those that f that chunk of five cards will always exist what that means is that if you take the the one of so if there's only one guardian just pure guardian card we're not talking about splits we're not talking about the rares we're just talking about in the common slot if you take that guardian card and then send the pack to your opponent and they look at it they can then see oh there's only two brute and to warrior, the guard, the guardian is just gone. That means my person that's passing to me is a hundred percent guardian because they signaled that they're guardian. Um, that doesn't happen nearly as often because sometimes you want the rare card and the better card. Uh, so those get passed around, but you can look at those commons, right? And then you can try and see down road of you who's passing to you what they might be. So if you get past one and it has, you know, two, one, one, so two warrior, one brute, um, and then one, uh, guardian, then you know that either brute or guardian, the ones that have you know, only one of, one of those is missing. So one of those was picked. So someone down there is one of those two classes. And that might be a reason that you go, you know what, maybe I should go warrior here. Um, and that's kind of what we mean by trying to read the signals. Cause you can't really read the signals on the split cards or the rares or anything like that. There's no really good way uh, to try and do that. All you can do is look at that five block of commons and try and decide, you know, what the people in front of you went. Um, and on the versus side, you can purposely pick cards and send cards to try and make the people after you become something, you know, become a deck. And that was very popular um, in, you know, a lot of our past formats as well. And outsiders so, especially, everyone just passed all the, the good Reptide and Azalea cards because no one wanted to be, um, be Ranger, right? Yep. I mean, that, that was a, a good example as well. So that's kind of what we mean by signaling. Um, what I, again, I think we're back to a, another draft set that I'm not super happy about. Uh, I like that there's four, you know, four plus heroes technically. Um, but my real issue with the set is you kind of only have a five pick window to decide what you are. And then you're just that thing. Um, you could just take a split card, try and take a split card for those two classes almost every single time and do something like that if you really want. But then you miss out, you know, on what makes that class, you know, that class. Uh, and then you the also, reason. sorry yeah. to jump in. You're also not sending signals then. And then like you think you have a signal and you jump in. But then someone else jumped in because it was open because you left it open and now you're even in a worse spot. So it's just it's hard to navigate those. Yeah, think about it. If you're getting past like good equipment and you're like, oh, I'll, pick, I'll take the split card to be open. And then you're also not touching the commons. 
then like the person you're passing to is just seeing like, hey, equipment for Guardian just came by and the both commons are still here. And then the next pack, like both commons are still here. And now they're just like, Guardian has to be open. Look at this. They're just passing me everything for Guardian because all you've done is take split cards and rares. And so they're like, I'll go Guardian. And then you're like, okay, I guess I'll finally take a common. And like the common gets passed to you, but they don't know if you took that one or if the person like six seats away from you took that that you know guardian common so they're just like oh it's fine someone down there is guardian and then you just like completely have shut them off what's well, also too a- late for them they're committed yeah. like you're six picks in you might have been open but they're not and now you're both in the same class next to each other and while doing that to somebody can be beneficial in a way mm-hmm. uh not coming back to you obviously um but at the same time if you're the person that it happens to you just get train wrecked and it's like pretty hard for you to figure out that you were in that spot and that was happening to you so the you have to pick a deck in five and forcing is really probably not viable in this format either is not what it feels like just makes the drafting process of like you get to five and then you're just guessing you're usually guessing between a couple of classes so sometimes you can get a really in-depth read and it, it like works out but you're usually just guessing between two classes and, and hoping that you pick the right one that's still open and still going to stay open but that's been every almost every format has worked that way yeah, jumping into the deck that the person to your right or to your left is like it, and it kind of feels like you sink your buddy's ship and then you jump into it. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, all right, I'm in, I'm, I'm on board. And I just blew a giant hole into it. And now both of our decks suck. Um, and that happens a lot. It happens a ton. Like it's a super common dynamic to have happen. Um, one thing I just want to mention with the signaling thing is, oh, sorry, Dan, do you want to, do you want to jump? No, you're good. Keep, keep it going. Okay. Um, so one thing on the signaling thing is uh, one another good spot besides if there's just like one card in the pack for that class you can also do it really effectively if there's just like a bad a bad blue that happens a lot like if you see like i don't know blue wild ride and then a red pound town or something taking that red pound town is great because now no one's going to be interested in that specifically brute card for a while and it lets you kind of keep cutting it if you keep finding that opportunity to leave just like one kind of crappy card of that class yeah that's a good point I was just going to add the, the I love impact this of our draft concerns, um, these issues that happen. That's why you see so many pros and people at these majors like dreading draft. Like you go 7 0 in Swiss or 4 0 in Swiss, and it's like, I got to survive. I don't know what's going to happen in this draft. I might get train wrecked. I might 0 3 before I even start playing. I mean, that's why I really liked Bright Lights. Like, I like Bright- I'm so sad I didn't get to compete in any uh, Bright Lights games um, or formats. I really like Bright Lights. It was. Okay, so the randomness aspect of it, um, when you're actually playing the game, is pretty high. So that was not great uh, feeling. But actually drafting the set felt like I had so much control over the set. And now, to be fair, I might feel I get more control after I have more drafts and we've had more time to go through it. This is just initial impressions. Um, However, I felt like I had so much control. I could easily pick my lane. I could play what I wanted to play. I, it showed up, you know, at Worlds. I was able to do really well in draft. Um, and so, like, I felt, I just felt like I had a lot of control over over how that functioned. I don't feel that currently. I feel like how I did in Monarch, where I just get to a point where I have two classes, and I go, I hope this one, and I hope the equipment comes around for it. And, like, that was just kind of how you felt. You're like, am I going to go, you know, I've, I've, I've seen everything open. I just pick one of them and go with it. And unfortunately, like, Nationals, I picked chain because it looked super open and it was, I was like the only chain in the pod. It just didn't matter because there were no chain equipment in the entire, in the entire pool. There were four hooves that came around in my pad pod, zero chain equipment. 
Um, and I was the only one. It was just like, but the deck was trash because of that reason. It's like, eh, if I had just picked Levia, I would have gotten hooves. I could have got two hooves if I wanted. And I would have been in such a better position. But it was like, you got that one moment, make a choice. And that's all you got. That's a good note there, Cody. I, I like that none of the decks in the set are dependent on their equipment. Like we, that was a huge thing in Monarch. Like you needed your class equipment to be like a playable deck in that format. Um, so I think it's great that these equipment are mostly just blocking. Um, obviously, the rare specializations are like pretty absurd. I'm wondering if that's going to be an issue as we draft more, but we'll see. I, I like that about the format. But not getting equipment is definitely a problem. Like, mm-hmm. like you can overcome it, but like you definitely want to block with armor. Like it's super. Oh yeah, but you're, you'll get it in the set. set. Like. 80% is generic, right? Like, if you're not getting yeah. it, it's your fault. Yep, I, I can agree with that. Um, but so far, it just feels like another fab draft set. Um, that I'm a little... I wish we could get away from that, and Bright Lights really did a good job. Obviously, every set can't be a mono mono set. We, I understand that. I don't think this is a bad draft format by any means. Um, we've definitely had worse draft formats, uh, in my opinion, than this one. And this one still has a lot of exploring to do, so it could get a lot better over time. It's just like going from bright lights, going to this one and being like, ah, we're back in the pick five. Okay, what class am I? Like type of type of decision is just not, eh, it's not, not fun. Yeah, I do think that said they, they knocked it out of the park with sealed. Um, yeah, I don't know at the like calling level. I'm curious to hear how all that goes. Um, but like for previous, it's like perfect. Like there's so much like dice rolling. Um, a lot of fun mechanics and it's 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 like pretty back and forth i think most pools are relatively balanced so i think they did a good job with sealed i agree i do think the one saving grace is the games are really fun and complicated i found like monarch to the similar kind of draft like feel of the draft but the games were a little bit simpler these heavy hitter games they feel a lot more difficult to navigate because there's a lot more tempo swings with agility and all the different tokens um and i just find that the games are really fun to play and they're close they're all very close and interesting and honestly like if any of my friends this weekend come say like oh i lost is my seal pool is garbage i'm like no there's definitely you could have definitely done something better played better and gotten your pile of garbage across the finish line yeah the games are very dynamic yeah i agree i think for the most part it's pretty possible the x2 with with most pools there are some like trash can pools that you can't but for the most players if you do that you play well you get a bit you got to get some luck in the games like that's important you can't just like draw eight reds in a row and like expect to win these games the games are too close to be able to do that unfortunately uh it's pretty hard to come back from a a lot of those game states however um most of these pools are good enough that like an x2 record is not unreasonable uh to ask for uh, most, I think most decks will be, you know, in the X3, X4 range. And then if you're going eight, oh, you just like opened like eight or nine, three for sevens. Like that's probably what happened. Like you can't play legendaries in this format, which is fantastic. I'm so happy that that they made that change. Um, but I think, I think that you'll see a lot of the top decks. They either just have like one for three attack reacts, like just like six or seven of those. Um, or they're looking at like seven, eight, nine, three for sevens in their deck are probably going to be like the top. One thing I do want to mention is with those one for three attack reactions, the the gameplay and how much info you give away while playing is really important. Like a lot of the attack actions or attack reactions say like they get a, a bonus if the opponent blocks with an attack. Um, you have to have, kind of plan ahead 
of if they block from the attack, I'm going to you do this. If they don't block from the attack, they either no like no block or block the non-attack. Um, my favorite card, starting stake, that yellow three block non-attack. But you need to have that plan ahead of time because the second that they block with a non-attack and you tank and you're like, what do I want to do? And then you are you just like meekly arsenal a card. It's like, dude, I know what that is. Like you, you're not getting past me. So just plan that ahead. Plan out your turn ahead of time, especially if you're going to be playing these attack reactions. Like you're trying to be crafty. You got to push that little bit of damage through. So play smart and don't give away all the info in the world if you can. I mean, the opposite is also true. Like that's the Icelander special. You got to think on every turn, and then it's fine. Don't think you have oh. it every time. Just take three seconds, or like take like ten seconds every time. Just yeah, like if you have one floating and one card in hand, think about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, don't think about that. Think about like your strategy for the next turn or something. But take a second. Okay, I think that about covers everything uh, for the calling. I'm super excited to play this weekend. Uh, it's been a while since we got to play like a you know a big event, um, and you know to see everyone is going to be pretty cool. So uh, if I run into you guys at the calling. Uh, feel free to say hi or come chat with us or anything like that. Um, I'm really looking forward to finally getting back in the swing of things, kind of like a warm up while we're doing our you know, pro tour prep. Um, now, we have made it over to the section where we have questions from people in our discord. If you would like to be able to ask questions on the podcast, feel free to join our uh, premium discord where one of the tiers is you get to ask uh, questions on the discord. We have some pretty cool changes I think we're making to it. Uh, where we're starting to release gameplay videos, um, different amounts at different tiers as well. Um, so you kind of get a more you know intimate look at like what we're working on or what we're thinking when we're playing the games as well. Uh, but yeah, feel free to look at the link below and join that. Now, let's start with our first question. Uh, it's going to come from your brother. Um, and his screen name is, is McNutty. And his question is, how strong do you think Old Tim would be in today's CC? If he didn't have the defense reaction part printed, he just had no text. How how strong do you think Olden would be with no 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 ability? He still is ice and earth, but he doesn't have the ability. He would be the best deck. It's not close. Like a- any ice hero in this format that doesn't have like a detrimental hero ability is the best deck. Until I don't know, ice cards go away, or we get something even more powerful, or some kind of way to I don't know get through ice like extra resources, like belittle. I don't know. He, he might be a little too vanilla. I think I, I do understand ice is ice is busted. Ice is like the only thing that actively eats away at your opponent's like resources and everything they're doing. And if you ever win one of those fights, they just don't get to do anything. Their turn goes from seven or something to, to literal zero. And that's like the best possible thing you can try to set up. Um, but we don't have winner. We don't have winners. Well, right. In this situation. Yeah, we do. Why not? Why, why not? We do. Okay. Well, if we have winners, well, yeah, that that card's insane. We have stalagmite, and you have crown. Like, oh. all right, never mind. It's it's busted. I'm on board. And he I now has he, he has two block boots now that he gets to play. Mm. Yeah, and now every deck build has to change because you can't be like redline Kasai or redline Dromai. Like you need blues again, and nobody wants that. So yes, yeah, winners whale is the real problem. I think that card is so absurd. So very absurd, and it just—it's just such a nightmare to deal with the entire game. But yeah, no, we don't even need a vanilla Oldham. Just no Oldham at all, please. Yeah. <laughs> okay, next question here by from Millen is: After listening to the cruel reality of Riptide as one of the worst heroes, 
Uh, he has a question. Uh, is, is there some card that could help him be playable or is it a faulty design of traps? So do we think there's a way to make Riptide actually good without without just like hard bumping all his numbers? Because like that's like a really boring way to do it. Is Or is it like a mechanics issue with his deck? I thought they were a bit harsh. I think Riptide is like pretty good. I'm not bringing him to a tournament, but like I think he's a playable deck. I think the <laughs> I think the biggest bump would be Azalea LLing because then he's the best. He's not even the best Codex deck. <laughs> if every other Codex deck, Codex deck LL'd, that would be a good reason. Yeah, I don't know. Um, what does he need? He needs Voltaire, maybe. Yeah. Go go again would be pretty strong. Maybe a little agility access. That could do. I mean, he just needs a weapon. Like, yeah. <laughs> if he had a weapon, I think that'd be way better. His his real issue is just like his his play pattern is bad because you want to run traps because the traps are actually pretty good and they have, you know, pretty good effects and dealing an extra damage off your trap is like actually pretty good. The problem is if you get too many traps, like you don't do anything on your turn. So even if you don't get too many, let's say like you actually are playing traps and you get like one trap or two traps a hand. That means your like expected damage output is significantly lower because one of these is always going to be unblocking. So you could say I'm going to block with this and I'm and let's say your your trap always triggers and you deal one damage. That's like, oh, that's pretty good. I got like four out of this. But you're on your attacking side because everything has to come through your arsenal in order to be played. You're limited on the amount of actual attacks that you can do in a turn. And so you usually just get like one attack after that. So the best play from him is to just send like a four or a five or sometimes a six. But that's all he's sending. Like his chances of sending higher that don't work if you're trying to play the trap side. Now, on the other hand, you can just play all pumps. But if you're going to play all pumps, why don't you just play Azalea? Because Azalea just does that way better. And his pumps are just like, can be blocked out. So if he's if he's going to say, I'm not playing traps, we're going to play all the pumps and arrows, then they just go all block. They just block their whole hand every time until you run out of the ability to swing any more arrows, and then they just hit you with a weapon. So like fundamentally, the hero doesn't work. You can't slander our guy like that, dude. Riptides, he's a nice gentleman. He's so handsome, and you're just like just besmirching him so hard. Um, I do think the weapon is definitely the key. Like if he had kind of like that Voltaire easy access to go again, and it, like also a weapon that could load if you had something in your arsenal. Um, Death Dealer doesn't let you load, so then you can't really try to do like New Horizon stuff where you can actually get ahead on cards. Um, he definitely needs like that kind of Voltaire, that kind of just like go again bow that works with New Horizons basically. But some of his trap cards are really good. Collapsing Trap is a really messed up card. <laughs> and you, if you play a long game, you have to cast it at least once. So if you make it good, it's worthwhile. But it's basically like a Stowling flush bag. That's kind of what it feels like to me. I mean, I will say during the Lexi meta, there was like a run where Riptide wasn't actually that bad. Um, he was significantly better than he is now because he actually had a, an okay matchup into some of the aggro decks that were trying to race Lexi. And then also Lexi herself, uh, he could be built in a way that made maybe not super favorable, but could make it uh, even or especially if someone didn't have experience would make it favorable at that point um, due to his traps and how he, he operated. But since those things have all left the game and we're talking about like guardians and warriors and things that want to block like your little your little like I'm going to block with some traps and then I'm going to send an efficient attack like yeah, Kasai's doing that over here, like way better than you are with like a recurring boot. Like, I, I don't know what game you're trying to play over there. That's the issue. Yeah, lack of equipment definitely hurts too. 
Yeah, he should really. Well, have this is like rep- Reptide specialization. You're just gonna play Azalea with like armor block. That sounds terrifying. Yeah. So unfortunately, uh, cannot be resolved. Uh, but maybe someday. But I fundamentally just think the hero has a problem. Uh, and that's okay. Except it should have 40 health. I don't know why it doesn't have 40 health. I can't figure it out. Uh, okay, next question here coming from Fighting Walloon is, uh, it comes out of that he watched our tier list and he says, when uh, assessing a deck, what is the balance point between consistency and power? How much power are you willing to give up for consistency and how much consistency would you give up for a deck with more power? I think that's the whole game. The whole game is that question. Yeah, we could do a lot of episodes on this one. I think there's like baselines. So I think I want to hit like a certain baseline of power that's like within a certain range of the other decks in the meta. And then I want the most consistency. Okay. I don't really agree, but I played. How can you agree? This is the first thing that came to mind. Chain was so high volatile, but the power didn't matter. So like. Well, he's out of the range. Like he's that's what I'm saying. Yeah. He's like his his. So his volatility was very high. However, his power made up for it. So even if you had like one terrible turn, it didn't matter because like you're you could make up for it in your other rounds. And that's like what people are looking for. They're looking for enough spiky power that if they have to take an off round or they have a bad round or the, the they have, you know, some bad variants, they don't just like immediately lose the game. That's kind of like so when Phi was better with like belittle and stuff, it was one, it was a little bit more consistent, but two, um, it had enough power that like, even if you had to take a round blocking out with like your shitty two blocks, like it didn't matter because like you could come back from that. Um, but as those things go away, then like, it's a lot harder to come back from having to like force block your whole hand. And so more players are leaning away from, you know, that type of play pattern. So me personally, and most people are going to a big event are going to take, uh, consistency over power. As long as the power is enough that lets them play the game. Wait, that's what I thought I said. Correct. I don't agree with it, but that's what oh, I understand. Are do. Yeah, yeah. I think it's the wrong approach. I think oh. I think it can be I think it can be beneficial in a weakened meta state. I think well, I think a, it depends on how you define consistency then. Like, like that's a whole nother conversation. Just like, are we talking turn by turn consistency? Are we talking like winning consistency? Yeah. Exactly. I, I think there's an interesting I think there's an interesting metric for consistency where like obviously like oh I drew enough blues for my hand to function each turn. Okay, that's like one kind of consistency. But I also think being able to play off different numbers of cards. So like having four, good four-card hands, good three-card hands, good two-card hands, good one-card hands, puts you in a spot where no matter what size threat your opponent's throwing at you that's very disruptive, you have like modularity to put your cards together in a way that makes the most sense math-wise. Shout out to Dash. That's what she's really good at. Um, but I think that that is an interesting way to gauge consistency also. And if you do have those spike turns and then you have that modularity, that kind of is like the point where I, I am excited to play a deck if I have both those things. But I, I'm I'm less of a fan of like like those all two block, all aggro deck, like kind of fi where it's like you do get a little bit behind and then your blocking really sucks and then you're kind of just trying to set up that one big combo turn to come back from it. I'd rather have a little bit more space and time to kind of grind the game down and gain those small advantages and really affect the game as I can. But I think that's why we're seeing a lot of people gravitate towards Kasai because Kasai is a very consistent deck, but it's like top range of like actual damage can be pretty high because of their specializations. So it's like getting, it's kind of double dipping a little bit in 
what we normally see. We'd see a mid-range deck like that not have good enough numbers or a finishing state to be able to win the game because they're just doing the same thing every round. But that deck is mostly doing the same thing every round with little like dips and valleys and then like specialization cards on the on the opposites that like actually let you finish the game or, or take over the game. And I think that's like a pretty big deal. I think that's why Kasai has been very popular. And, you know, she's relatively simple to play. She does have some, you know, concepts. But once the deck is built, almost everyone's going to have like the same 50 cards in the deck because that's just kind of how that deck works. Uh, I think Bravo is like the opposite. I think Bravo might have too much power for his consistency. Uh, his base level, what he does every round is very high. However, his power turns are just like broken, like crippling crush and uh, things like that. Uh, so, you know, a little bit of an issue there. That's why as everything's gotten powered down, he's still one of the last old heroes that is still floating around. And, and a lot of people are like, hey, I'll take this consistency with this power. Um, you want ultimate consistency, just play Great Axe Story. That is the most consistent deck you'll ever play. It does one thing. It swings a Great Axe and then the rest of the stuff blocks. So, you know, there's different levels of of power to go there. But that could be a, a whole episode on itself, breaking down every deck okay. and, and w- what what it would be into. So very good question. And I, I think pers- historically the consistent deck has been yeah. the deck that wins the big events, right? Well, yeah. Like almost every time. Like the blue base decks perform better because you operate off of one blue, two blue, three blue. We might be moving in a different, uh, we might be moving in a slightly different out of that though, because all the decks are becoming more consistent and less powerful. Um, so that's like, we saw Phi win worlds, for example. Uh, it might just be like the opposite where you, the spiky decks, if 50 people bring it, someone's going to be spiky in most of their games, right? Like that's just kind of how the, the math works on spiky aggro decks. Mm-hmm. Could be. That's why that's like when you saw Briar in top eight when Briar was around and they were playing Channel Mount Heroic, you're just like, no, I don't want to play the Briar because I know this Briar has drawn Channel Mount Heroic in the first three rounds of every single game that they played at this entire tournament. And so you're like, those are the Briar people at the top. So it didn't matter how many Briars were brought for the most part, as long as like it was a decent number. You knew there was going to be like two Briars in the top eight and they were all the people who saw their Channel Mount every single, you know, every single game in the first three hands. Uh, it's kind of funny how that works. Okay. Last question here is from Billy P and it says for heavy hitters sealed, how do you weigh uh, different metrics when picking a class? We did talk about this a little bit, but I still read the question. It says you know, number of three sevens, number of three blocks, good equipment. Um, is the extra three sevens, you know, worth more than extra three blocks, etc." cetera. Um, and then he talks about draft as well, uh, asking how quick you have to decide. And I will say we answered that one as well. You have to decide in five, like, for the first five-ish um, turns, I think, is where you, you really want to be. It's kind of been the same for everything else. Um, and to answer your first question, three for sevens are king. More three for sevens over everything. I will give up my three blocks for more three for sevens. Please, just can I trade you three blocks for three for sevens? I, li- I like your earlier quote. Losing or blocking is losing in this format. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Okay, uh, well, I think we should probably get going. I need to play with myself and sealed, so I will see yeah, you guys later. The Seven here, but, um, envelope. We could do here is go ahead and play the envelope. Uh, all three pitches of envelope and darkness. <laughs>